Well, it's pretty exciting to be here uh, with you guys again. Um, yeah, a lot of new faces and uh, also some people that have been around for quite some time. It's just great to have you all here. Uh, again, Jeremy emphasized, you know, we're in the process of really uh, of, of planting a congregation in the northern suburbs of Onondaga County, something that we've been talking about for two and a half years. We believe that God wants uh, gospel preaching communities and churches all over this place, especially bringing together people who already live there is an exciting thing. So we're excited about that. And this marks our first week that we've done this two weeks in a row, which is also, again, another step as we have becoming uh, a weekly, autonomous, just constant presence in this community that we've been just working so hard for over the last couple of years. So praise the Lord for that. So I figured, you know, since we're planting a church together, at least Jesus, we're trusting Jesus to plant his church, amen, in this community. We're just being used by him. Uh, you know, I figured it would be good for us to really spend some time together reading some material on church planting, right? I mean, if we're going to plant a church, we better get into some, you know, some books, some articles, better get some wisdom on church planting. So tonight, we're going to talk about some books on church planting. One of them that was informative for me was Radical Reformation. So we're going to talk about Radical Reformation tonight, spend some time looking through that text. Uh, we're also going to look at Ed Stetzer's work on church planting in a postmodern age. Who's getting excited? How about Aubrey Malfer's book on church planting? Right? These are all on my shelf, so I figured, you know what, tonight, since we're planting a church together, the best thing that we can do is really get down and dirty and study and get thinking about church planting and looking at some textbooks from some from great authors. What do you think? You're supposed to say, like, pretend you're a Ravens fan against the Steelers or vice versa, right? Boo, right? Hey, we love those books. We love those authors. But there's a better book. Right? The Scriptures. Now, we, again, we're not dogging Stetzer, Malfers, Driscoll, none of those guys about church planning. We love them, and we appreciate all that they have written. But when it comes to planting a church, a biblical church, in the northern suburbs of Onondaga County, sure, we can read all those things, great. But when it comes to understanding the nature, the purpose of the church, the establishment of a congregation in this geography, guess what? Guess where we're going? We're going to the Scriptures. And again, not to elevate one Scripture over another in any way, but I think a very unique time for us as a congregation that's new to look at the beginnings of the first church in the book of Acts. So that's what we're going to do. We're not going to talk about the books. That was somewhat of a joke. We're going to talk about the book, the book, the Bible, the scriptures. And we're going to, over the next weeks and months, who knows how long this series will go, who knows when we'll take a break. I'm sure we will. But the bottom line is this, is we are being shaped as a people in this place. There's no better place to look than the book, the Bible, what we believe to be the true uh, infallible teaching of God. This is how God has revealed himself to the world, through Jesus Christ and the Word in Scripture. Amen? So that's where we turn. So let's go there. Acts chapter 1, we're starting our series, To the Ends of the Earth. I want to read this for you and uh, make a few comments after and we'll, we'll dive right in. Verse 1, In the first book, O Theophilus, 
I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is God's word. Again, a few comments before we dive into the text. I'm going to be as clear as I possibly can here tonight because I'm doing something a little bit different as I structure the passage. I'm going to give you one main idea, okay? One statement, one sentence that I want you to walk away with here tonight. But I'm going to break it up into five statements, Five statements that progressively, progressively build to become one statement. Okay, so you, you're tracking with me? So if you've got your pen, you're going to write down one, two, three, four, five, and then, you know, you're going to have it. You're going to have this great statement that's this wonderful idea from, from, the, from the wannabe preacher here tonight, okay? So let's just be clear about that. What Jesus started continues. There are effects, ramifications of the reality of the resurrection. But what does it look like now? Right? If, if Jesus' work is final, and he, he's no longer here, as we're about to see, what does it look like for his work to have ongoing effect in the world? What does it look like for what he started to continue? Well, if you look on, you see this, and here's the, the next part of this. It's what Jesus started continues as the promised Holy Spirit empowers the church. What do you mean, Mike? Well, let's look again. Verse 4. Staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And again, he talks about it in verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So what Jesus started continues as the promised Holy Spirit empowers the church. And Jesus is giving the disciples in this moment very clear instructions about what to do, and friends, about what not to do. Let me tell you, it's helpful to have instructions about what you need to be doing, but it's equally helpful to have instructions about, by the way, in your doing of this, don't do this. Right? A couple, about a month ago, actually, we had a serious clog going on in the Maisie bathtub. Okay? And so Bob Steves, 
said, you got to go get that, you know, high-powered stuff that comes in a bag that's got lye in it. And I'm like, this sounds like a lot of fun, right? Chemical reaction. So again, I go buy this stuff. I think the picture is available to you. This is what I got. Instant power dissolves hair in grease, right? So with this kind of intensity, you got to know what to do, but you also got to know what? What not to do. Because me being an absolute moron, you know, I might blow up my house. So if you go to the next picture, what does it say? It says, right, here's a, keep locked up and out of reach of children. Can you imagine if I didn't read that one and Silas got his hands on this, right? So that's what you need to do. Keep locked up, right? Do not use in the presence of children or pets, right? Do not, again, right? Do not use where other drain openers or chemicals are present or have. You get the idea. Call a plumber. That's the one I should have just listened to in the first place, right? It's important. This, it's, it has massive implications that we hear instructions and we do what we're supposed to do and we don't do things that would get us into a whole heap of trouble. Look at what Jesus says. Do not depart from Jerusalem. Right? That's very clear instruction about what they're not supposed to do. Don't depart from Jerusalem. Don't leave. Don't move. Don't go anywhere, please. And given our human tendency to run out ahead of God, I don't know about you, but like I'm impulsive, so like, oh, idea, and I'm out. I'm, I'm doing it, right? So we have this tendency spiritually because maybe fear or ambition or whatever to run out ahead of God and to not just simply wait, not just stay put. I saw this on display with, in Silas's life this week when I challenged him. Here's what I want you to do. Don't move. 2.6 seconds went by, and he's like, you know, he couldn't pull it off. So he's like, try again. Try to beat your record. So it's like 2.6 seconds. Kid gets to 8 seconds, and it looks like his head's about to explode. Right? He can't do it. So I challenged him again. He got to 28 seconds, but please from 8 seconds to 28, this face was like, you know, and then he fell over on top of the couch. I mean, it's our tendency, not just physically as kids. Many of us, as we age, have the other tendency. We're like, we don't move, right? Not to sit still. Not to obey that command. But to really do what Jesus is telling them to do, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Don't leave. Don't go anywhere. Just wait. Another equally challenging task for us as the people of God, right? To wait for the way of God. To wait for the timing of God. To wait, as we'll see, for the power of God. Think about the ramifications if they had just gone out ahead without receiving what was necessary. Like going into battle without a weapon. A devastating effect. They simply were not ready. Jesus knew that. So please, guys, I know you may want to run out and do this thing. I mean, maybe you got all the ideas in the world. Now you're seeing me alive. You get, hey, let's do this. Let's do that. Let's go, let's go do this thing. Let's go talk to that person. Let's conquer the world. I don't know what ideas were going on in their mind, but I'm sure they had ideas and hopes and visions and dreams coming out of this reality of the resurrection. He said, listen, you can't handle it can't do it. Wait. Don't go anywhere. 
They just simply weren't ready. And they're waiting for the promise of the Father, right? This Again, you're seeing that the full Godhead at work. You're seeing Jesus, the Son, accomplishing much. You're seeing the Father promising in Ezekiel and Joel, the Old Testament prophets. One of these days, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit into the world. I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh, right? Which we're going to see in chapter 2 finally happen. Ezekiel talks about he's going to put his spirit inside of his people so that they would have the ability to obey all of his commands. This is the outworking of the plan of God. Wait for that. Don't run out ahead without the promise of the Father. He tells them what to do. He tells them what not to do. Verse 6, he's like, well, wait a minute. So wait, you know, you think about their expectations. They're thinking to themselves, okay, so you're telling me you're alive and the Holy Spirit's coming. Hey, 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 I know what this means. It's time for Israel to kick everyone's butt again. Right? We're going to restore the glory of Israel. All of our nationalistic hopes and dreams are all coming true. Right? So you're alive. You're our king. And Rome is driving us crazy, just like all the other guys in history that, that, that oppressed us and enslaved us. So now, this is the time where our Messiah, our long-awaited King, can come and rule and reign, and we can be restored to the glory that we expect, to the glory that we once knew, and we'll never have to deal with anyone ever again, yay. Right? And again, he's telling them, no, no, that's not it, right? It's not for you to know uh, the time or the season that the Father, there's the Father again, has fixed by his own authority, but there is something that you are to be concerned about. Even though you have twisted understanding of the kingdom of God, I've got to teach you about that. Even though your expectations of what this resurrection now is going to mean for the world, you don't really understand that yet. But listen, here's the deal. Don't be concerned about the times or the seasons. And if I get into a conversation with one more person, you know, wherever it is, about, did you see CNN? We're close. Okay, yeah, we're close. We've been close from this day. We're not to be consumed and concerned with times and seasons concerning the Lord's return, right? We know He's coming, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But what we're to be concerned about is what God has told us to be focused on and concerned about. Right? And this is what he says, that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. That word for power is dunamis. And the only reason I give you that word is just to show you that that's where we get the term dynamite. Right? Power. Dynamite. That, that really what they're to do is to be concerned about the fact that they will not be thinking about times or seasons, but they will be receiving power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And the idea that Jesus says, the church, man, you don't do anything, wait. Don't be concerned about the times or the seasons, but you will receive power, goes to show that these people were not just confused, they were weak. Right? People that need power, just by implication, live in a state of weakness. We're weak. Without God indwelling us, without the Spirit coming upon us, we are incapable, insufficient, inadequate to do anything God would ever ask us to do. 
Matter of fact, to do anything, period. Without general grace, just the breath that God has given you, you didn't give that to yourself, but you know, specific grace, that is, grace to obey Him. Grace to fulfill His mission in the world. Without the power and the indwelling work of God the Holy Spirit, there's absolutely no hope for you to do anything but make a big mess out of your attempts. So wait for the dunamis, the dynamite, right? This, this wait that we're about to talk about in just a minute, this mission that they were called to, they could not carry, they could not lift on their own. They needed to be strengthened with power from on high by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And I know so many of you, including myself, struggle day in and day out about living in the flesh, trying to obey God in the flesh, trying to do it on our own strength. And we're running into a wall time and time again in a particular area of our life. Friends, the reality is this. Until we fully depend upon the power of the sovereign spirit in our lives, nothing is going to change. But maybe external behavior at best. But if we wait, and we ask the Lord, the indwelling power of God, the Holy Spirit, that's when the strength, the ability comes. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing, right? So what Jesus started continues as the promised Holy Spirit empowers the church. This shows dual instrument, right? What is God doing? Well, he's going to do, continue to do what he did in Jesus through the Spirit that empowers the church. We talk about that all the time, renovation and missio, right? Whatever God is going to do in the world, He's going to primarily do through all of Christ's people. Right? The instrument of God is His people. But please, not people that, that don't have His power. It's the Spirit-indwelt, Spirit-empowered people that are His instrument into the world. And so if you believe in Jesus... You trust in Him, His finished work. Guess what? You have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And now you have power, ability, capacity in His strength to do what God has called you to do. Amen? I got to be, that's good news for me. Given all the weaknesses I so feel and, and the weight of care. Wait, it's the power of God has been given to me as he lives inside of me. You know, what God has done a work for us in Jesus Christ, and that work now has a continuing effect in us. Don't miss that. Right? He's done something for us, but by the power of the Spirit, he's doing a work in us. And as we see, so that he might do a work through us. Right? Do you believe that for Renovation Church here tonight? Do you believe that God has done something for us in such a way that he will do something in us crazy enough to believe that a ragtag group like us in this northeast town, God is going to do something through us? Do you believe that? Do you believe it because you're great? You look in the mirror and you say, man, think about my gifts. Think about my contribution. Think about my check that I just dropped in the offering. Or do you believe that because you know the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead? Amen. 
He's going to do something through us. What Jesus started continues as the promised Holy Spirit empowers the church for witness. That's number three. That's what he's empowering us to do, right? To bear witness. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. You're going to be my witness. That word for witness, and again, I'm only telling you the Greek word because you know an English version of it. It's martyreo, which is where we get martyr, right? Dynamite from dunamis. Now, martyr, which a martyr is, we define it as someone who dies by proclaiming or testifying to the resurrection and the reality of Jesus Christ being Lord and Savior of all. We're a witness. That witness is someone who affirms that one has seen or heard or experienced something or someone. Right? It's like taking the stand. Tell us what you saw. Tell us what you know. Tell us what, you know, based on your, your knowledge of, relationship to, tell us about that. Bear witness to it. Speak. And always, in, and when you take the stand, there's credibility issues. Is, are you credible? Is there integrity? Is there expertise? Can you really be someone who speaks to this issue? Witness. He knows it because he's been taught by divine revelation or inspiration. That's what a witness is. And basically, I love that where he said, you will be my witnesses. Don't miss that. We are witnesses to Jesus, and specifically, what are we witnesses to? Especially the apostles, in a very unique way. What did Jesus do, friends? What did, he presented himself what? Alive after his suffering. So what are they witnesses to, friends? He's alive. He's not dead. So when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, surely he's talking about it in a comprehensive sense. You will speak to, you will represent all that I am in the world and all that I've said. But in the context of Acts, and as you'll see throughout the book, that their primary message, he died, you killed him people, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of these things. We'll say that time and time again in Acts. So to be a witness of Jesus, specifically, in the book of Acts, is what? To be a witness to his resurrection. So if you take the stand in your life, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, that your message, your testimony, is guess what? He's alive. (laughs) He's not dead. The world thinks he's dead. The world thinks he's legend at best. He's alive. Let me tell you about it. That's what a witness is. To Jesus is really focusing his message on. And friends, that is good news. Can we just say that for a minute? You know what? This is the gospel. The defeat of death. The defeat of sin. This is the gospel. And friends, as we approach people who do not know that, who do not believe it, and they hear that message, they're going to be looking at our lives. Right? It's... Friends, it's not just our lives. We like that one. Well, I'm going to tell the world about Jesus by just living a really nice life. Well, that just means they're going to conclude that you're a very nice guy. That's great, but that's not the gospel. 
right? You can serve your socks off to your neighbor. But if they don't know why, you're just a nice guy. Right? So, we need words to be bearing witness to Jesus. Let's be clear on that. Can we be clear on that? Words are necessary for witness. It's primarily what a witness does. Speaks. But if, so without words, it's insufficient witness. But without life that's attached to those words, if we're just saying things, but our life is not reflective or representative, I'm not saying perfect. Sometimes the most representative thing you can do that shows that the gospel is real is repent. And be like, you know what? I messed up. I sinned. Right? I'm praying that's true because I have to repent to my kids all the time. <laughs> Sorry, kids. Daddy blew it. Babe, you think I got the gospel that time? Anyway, you get the point. No life, it's an incredulous witness. No words, it's insufficient. This is what we are called to do. And friends, I want to be clear as day. We assume everybody has heard this before. And I'm telling you now, more and more, and you're probably going to say, yep, that's true. More and more, the reality of what Christ has done for the world and accomplished in defeating death in His resurrection, people don't really know and believe that. They don't know it. We grew up in a Christian nation. That's, that's long gone. It's over. That's gone. We live in a day and age where the more you tell the gospel, the more you'll hear words like this. Never heard that before. So don't be ashamed and don't be bashful. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And by the way, Holy Spirit's come on the church. So you don't have to wait for this. And bear witness to the reality of the resurrection. So, Next, what Jesus started continues as the promised Holy Spirit empowers the church for witness to the ends of the earth. Woo! To the ends of the earth? Yeah, look it. It says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Okay, yeah, I I like my city. It's good. Where I live is my hometown. Judea and Samaria, forget it. You know? Like the CNS guys, like Beville. Nobody likes Beville, right? You know, like, the, I talked to a Bills fan today. Man, those Giants, I hate the Giants. Right? Right? Point is, is it's bigger than we would expect. It's, it's bigger than what we would think. The scope of what God wants to do in the world is so much bigger than what we would ever anticipate. All the way from this place, stay here. Don't go anywhere. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit in this place, and then you're going to go to the ends of the earth. That's the scope. And the way that I'm thinking about it as I look at this is from a microscopic point of view and also a telescopic point of view, right? Microscopic, something that's close to you, you can see much more clearer. It enlarges that image. And so when we think about mission and witness in this area, we've got to think local. Far too often we've kicked mission and witness To another country, another place, another neighborhood. Send a check in the mail. 
But friends, we've got to think small right here. Where you are, your city, your neighborhood, your workplace, your community, that's where you're called to be a witness. That's where the church is called to be present and proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. Right here. So who are the three people in your life? Who's the one person? I'm okay with that tonight. Who's the one person that God has broken your heart for at work, at home, your neighborhood, that you're saying, God, please empower me to bear witness to the reality of the resurrection in such a way that they come to know you and are saved by you? Who's the one person in your Jerusalem? But even as we think local, which the planting of this church is built on that, local, geographic, right here, saturating this area with the gospel, we have to think global. We can't be stuck in our myopic little idea, this is the kingdom of God. This is what God loves. This town, this country, God loves the world. And Jesus wants the whole world to know that he's alive. Let that set in for a minute. Jesus wants the whole world, every man, woman, and child, throughout all of human history, on every street corner, from here to New Zealand, to know that he is alive. If you can imagine a telescope, right, enlarging an image that's far away. And I think as we grow as a church, we need to be praying about what's a part of the globe that we're going to take responsibility for and say, We're going to present the gospel to every man, woman, and child in that place. Just like we take responsibility for our place. The call of Jesus to bear witness to the resurrection is local, and yet it is global. It's all the way to the ends of the earth. What Jesus started continues as the promised spirit empowers the church for witness to the ends of the earth. That was number four. You tracking with me? And last... As my voice is running out, that's good news for you. You may ask, how long we got to do this? I mean, right, like we work 30 years, we call it quits, and then we go fishing, right? Isn't that what we do? Like, how long we got to do this? All right, I'm in, you got me signed up, I'm a witness, but how long? Are you saying all the way to the ends of the earth? How long we got to do this? Look at what goes on. He says this. He says, they were, as he was saying these things, they were looking on. He was lifted up. He was ascended into heaven. A cloud took him out of their sight. And if you remember back in John, he said, it's for your benefit that I leave. Remember that? He said, I'm going to be leaving. He said, it's to your benefit that I leave because if I don't go, the Spirit won't come. So the ascension is instrumental, it's necessary for the Spirit to come. Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father is necessary for Him to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. So this is what's happening. Jesus is ascending into heaven. And while they were gazing into heaven as He went, I think many of us as Christians are there, right? We come to know Jesus, and then we just go like this. Amen. When do I get to go up there? Hey, Jesus died for me. We get to go to heaven. We do. That's the blessed hope. 
But look at what he says. Why are you standing here looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. How long are we to be engaged in the spirit-empowered witness from here to the ends of the earth? Until Jesus returns. What? That's right. Until Jesus returns. We cannot stop as the church. We cannot quit. In the face of obstacles, persecution, financial issues, facility issues, man, that guy's annoying issues, in the face of all those issues, we cannot, we will not stop until Jesus returns. It's our call. This is the call of the church. And please, as overwhelming as that can be, understand this, that the resource given by Jesus to the church, namely the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that cooperates with the church to bear witness to Jesus, guess what? That Spirit is active in the world. How long? Until Jesus returns. We've not been abandoned. It may be more difficult today, but we in no way, shape, or form have been abandoned by the God who gives us His Spirit. He lives in us, amen? He's empowering us. When the weight is too much, we can't handle it. When we're scared, when we're confused, when we don't know why people don't believe, friends, He's not returned yet, so I know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus has given us everything that we need to obey Him for as long as He's called us to do it. called to bear witness to the reality of the resurrection until Jesus returns. Is he here yet? Is he coming? As surely as he died and was risen from the dead, he will return. But he's not here yet. So what are we to do today? What's our call? We have the privilege. (laughs) The privilege of heralding, proclaiming in our words and our life the reality that Jesus is alive. The world needs that, friends. Jesus is the hope for this world. And I know so many of you hear this call and you're astounded by grace. And you should be. Me? As astounding as it is that Jesus saved you, saved me, it's just as astounding to know that the grace of God is sufficient enough to use you to bring His purposes about in the world. What God has done for us, He is doing in us. And as He does all of that, He is doing something through us. That's all we're going to see in Acts. That's all we're going to see in Acts. I'm excited to walk through this series with you and uh, just trust that it will shape how we understand the, the nature, the purpose, the mission of the church and really posture us biblically. Read Steps or read Driscoll. Read all his books. It's great. But I'm encouraged to know that We have divine revelation 
it can help really set the stage for us to be a faithful church that bears witness to Jesus. Right? What Jesus started continues as the promised Holy Spirit empowers the church for witness to the ends of the earth until Jesus returns. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you You are indeed alive. You have risen from the dead. We've not seen that physically. But oh, we have heard that and we have experienced that reality in such a way that it has transformed the very fabric of who we are. You're alive. And I pray that Renovation Church would embrace its call to be the instrument witness-bearing instrument in the northern suburbs of Onondaga County. And I pray that the people that are on our mind, that we would have opportunity this week to tell them that all that you have done and that they would trust and believe in you. We can't manufacture that, God. Only you can save. And if there's anyone here in the room today that said, I didn't know that Jesus was alive. And maybe I'd heard it before, but you know what? The, the message bounced off my brain, it bounced off my heart, and it never sunk in. And tonight, I've heard it again, or I've heard it for the first time, and I believe that Jesus died for me. And that He rose again to conquer death and sin in my life. If there's anyone here in the room tonight that wants to say, Jesus... You're my Lord and Savior, and you're alive, and I believe that with all my heart saved me. I pray that they would. I pray that they would not leave tonight without the assurance that you have given them new life and raised them from the dead, as you've done for all of us in this room. In Jesus' name.